Make sure I start that recording. A lot of good information contained for us in First Thessalonians that can help us today whenever we face difficulties in this life. In First Thessalonians chapter 3, at about verse 1, Paul says, and I just paraphrase now, he says, when we could bear it no longer, we thought it good to be left in Athens alone and to send Timothy to you. So we kind of have to understand the background to understand that statement. Paul is saying, I just couldn't take it anymore. I had to know what was going on back in Thessalonica. And he said, when we couldn't just take it any longer, we stayed in Athens and we sent Timothy back so that we could find out what was going on with you all. So here's the introduction to this lesson. The year is about probably 51, maybe 52 A.D. And it's Paul and it's Silas. And they're getting ready to leave Antioch of Syria. And they're going to head north. This time they're not going by sea, they're going to go by land. First time, first missionary journey, Paul and Barnabas set out and they sailed from Antioch. But now it's going to be Paul and Silas and they are going to head north until they can turn west. And as they turn west, they're going to go back to some of those same areas that Paul and Barnabas had visited on that first missionary journey. And they will go to Iconium, and they will go to Lystra, and they will go to Derby. But this time, when they go to Lystra, a young man by the name of Timothy will join them. And then they will continue on west for a little ways, and they will determine that they want to go into Asia, and they want to go into Bithynia. Both times, the Spirit will hinder them and not allow them to go into that area. And so they will continue on west until they come to a city by the name of Troas. And this is contained in Acts the 16th chapter. And when they get to Troas, that's when Paul is going to receive this vision. And it's a vision by night, and there is a man from Macedonia who is standing and calling to him, Come over and help us. There's a subtle but a very interesting statement that is made in Acts the 16th chapter and verse 10. Because after Paul revealed he had received this vision, it's recorded, we therefore concluded that God was calling us to come over and preach the gospel to them. We concluded. Who's the we? It's the one doing the writing. And we all know who wrote Luke, or Acts, don't we? Same one who wrote Luke. It is Luke. And so now just stop and think about that for a moment. Here's this second missionary journey. It's Paul and Silas, and they take off. They go north. They head west, and they pick up Timothy. They continue on west till they come to Troas, and Paul receives this vision. And then in verse 10, it says, We concluded. So what took place there? They had a discussion about that. Paul shared that vision with them. And so now, 
we concluded that God was calling us. And so Luke includes himself in this group. So now you got Paul, you got Silas, you got Timothy, and you got Luke. It's like the Fab Four, isn't it? I mean, if you're going to assemble a group to go preach the gospel, that's awesome. And so Luke records, he said, we concluded that God was calling us. And we ought to go over to Macedonia. So that's in fact what they do. And they set out and they sail towards Macedonia. And as you think about that group and that call. And them being called over to Macedonia. They're going to go where God has called them to. Let me ask you this question. This is a group of Christians. We know from the scriptures this is a dedicated group of Christians. This is God's call. They're going to go do, they're going to go where He called. They're going to go do what He says. Do you think God's blessings would be upon them? You would think, wouldn't you? That's quite a group that's assembled. That's a direct vision, revelation to the Apostle Paul. This is where I want you to come to. And so that's what they do. Acts the 16th chapter at verse 11. It says, Therefore sailing from Troas, we ran a straight course to Samothrace and the next day to Neapolis and from there to Philippi, which is the foremost city of, the part of that part of Macedonia, a colony and we were staying in that city for some days. I won't read down through the rest of that, but I'll just kind of summarize what's contained there in the next few verses of Acts 16. They sailed, they come to Macedonia, and they head to Philippi. And when they get to Philippi, on the Sabbath day, they go down by the river, river and they find a group of women that are assembled there. And they preach the gospel to them. And that's that famous story about a woman by the name of... Lydia, isn't it? And she is converted in her and her household. And it's like, wow, that's off to a good start, isn't it? We now have a church in Macedonia, in Philippi. And so they continue there for several days. And it seems like, wow, this is a good thing what's going on here, except there's this little girl. And every place they go, this young girl follows them. And she is constantly crying out. These men are the servants of the Most High God. Well, that seems reasonable. They are. Except, she keeps saying that. Over and over and over. And Luke records for us that this young girl has a spirit of divination. And she makes money, income for her master by fortune telling. And she keeps repeating this phrase. Until finally the Apostle Paul gets tired of it. And he casts out the spirit. Uh-oh. Now her master has lost his means for income. So you know what he did, does? 
he gets some others together. And they grab a hold of Paul and Silas and they drag them to the marketplace. So this is a public setting. And they say these men are teaching things which are unlawful for us as Roman citizens to be engaged in, to be involved in. Isn't that interesting? He did not say these men cast out a spirit from this girl who is helping me to make money. (laughs) No, they say they're teaching things that is not lawful for us to be engaged in as Roman citizens. So you know what the city officials do? They have them stripped. This is in the marketplace. And then they have them beaten. And then they throw them into jail. And that leads to the next famous story, right? That's the conversion of the Philippian jailer. I'm not going to tell you all the details of that, but just stop and think about what has happened. Here they are, following God's call, doing God's work, and now they've been arrested, they've been stripped publicly. They've been beaten publicly. They have been thrown into jail. But Paul and Silas continue to preach. The Philippian jailer is converted. He and his household. And so there are more that are added to the church there. And then eventually Paul and Silas are released. And then where do they head off to? They go south. And they go to Thessalonica. Now... As you think about all that, I want to read Acts 17, verse 1 and 2. It says, Now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. Then Paul, as was his custom, went into them and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the Scriptures. They're not going to be deterred. They've been called to preach, and Paul is going to go preach. And so as they come into Thessalonica, they discover that there is a synagogue there. Those Jews are going to be meeting on the Sabbath. What better place to talk to religious people than go where they assemble? And so that's what Paul does. And he preaches to them for three Sabbaths. And so once again, I just ask you, Do you think God's blessing would be upon them? Verse 3. Explaining and demonstrating that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead. And saying, this Jesus whom I preach to you is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded. And a great multitude of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women joined Paul and Silas. So they preach. And they're converting people. And now there's Greeks that are added to that. And now there's leading women that are added to that. And once again, it's like, okay, this is the way it ought to be going. But then verse 5. But the Jews, who were not persuaded, becoming envious, took some of the evil men from the marketplace and gathering a mob, set all the city in an uproar and attacked the house of Jason and sought to bring them out to the people. But when they did not find them, 
they dragged Jason and some brethren to the rulers of the city, crying out, These who have turned the world upside down have come here also. Jason has harbored them, and these are all acting contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying there is another king, Jesus. Here we go again. And so now, some are jealous. And so they go and they try to find Paul and Silas and they go to the house of Jason because Jason has been harboring them. That's where they've been staying. But when they get there, they don't find them. So what do they do? They grab a hold of Jason and some brethren. How long have they been Christians? Real short time, isn't it? And so now they drag them before the city officials. And what do they say? We're jealous? Because some of our people are leaving and following them? That's not what they say. So now then they say, they are teaching decrees against Caesar. That helps to explain what was stated back in Philippi. They are teaching things for Romans not to be involved in. Now down in Thessalonica, it is stated more plainly, they are teaching that there is another king. In the Roman Empire, you teach there's another king besides Caesar, that'll get you killed. And so they come looking for Paul and Silas, they don't find them. And so they grab a hold of Jason and some of the other brethren and they drag them before the city rulers. Notice verse 9. Acts 17 and verse 9. Jason has harbored them and these are all acting contrary. These are all acting contrary to the decrees of Caesar saying there is another king, Jesus. And they troubled the crowd and the rulers of the city when they heard these things. So when they had taken security from Jason and the rest, they let him go. What just happened? They were called. And Luke says, we concluded. This is what God wanted us to do. And so we set out. We went to Macedonia. We came down to Philippi. We preached the gospel. There were some that were converted. A church was started. And then people started saying things about us. And then we ended up getting arrested. And then we ended up getting stripped. And then we ended up getting beaten. And then we ended up putting in jail. And we finally got away from there. We came to Thessalonica. And we preached again. And there were some that were converted again. And then some people became jealous. And what they do? <laughs> they started an uproar in the whole city. And now they start telling them, we're saying that there's another king. And in the Roman Empire, when you say that that's another king, that's dangerous. Now we'll shut you up because we'll bring the government against you. So they answered the call. And doing what God wanted them to do. And life's not easy. Life's hard.
But you got to ask yourself, why did that happen? Acts 17 and verse 4, some of them were persuaded and a great multitude of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women joined Paul and Silas. Now sometimes when we read that and like those first verses in Acts 17 it can almost kind of lull you to sleep. Where here's Paul and here's his companions and they travel down to Thessalonica and they find out there's a synagogue and so on the Sabbath they're going to go there and they're going to preach. That seems pretty routine, doesn't it? But then we come to verse 5. But the Jews who were not persuaded, becoming envious, took some of the evil men from the marketplace and gathering a mob, set all the city in an uproar and attacked the house of Jason and sought to bring them out to the people. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some brethren to the rulers of the city, crying out, These who have turned the world upside down have come here also. Jason has harbored them. And these are all acting contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying there is another king, Jesus. And they troubled the crowd and the rulers of the city when they heard these things. So when they had taken security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. Verse 10. Then the brethren, the brethren, immediately, immediately, sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. Do you think the teaching of Paul (laughs) triggered these people? Undoubtedly, it did. And so you've got to ask, why were they so triggered by this? And why were these people of the city so upset by this? And why did they come searching for them, looking for them? And why did, why did Jason and the brethren have to send them away secretly by night, immediately? Well, if you know a little bit about Thessalonica, you kind of understand a little better. Thessalonica was a port city. Thessalonica was like the crown jewel for the Roman Empire on the Aegean Sea. Thessalonica not only sat there as a natural harbor so that they could do trade seagoing vessels, they were also on the Ignition Way. Trade came through, travel came through Thessalonica. They made a lot of money trading through there. Rome gathered a lot of taxes from Thessalonica. It is said that most every Roman emperor went to Thessalonica at one time or another. This is a Roman seaport. This is a Roman city. Thessalonica is important to Rome and Rome is important to Thessalonica. So when they have somebody come and they say there's another king... Oh no, that doesn't play well here. That's treason. That'll get you beheaded. 
Do you recall in about Matthew the second chapter when there were some wise men that they came and they said that they wanted to find the one who had been born king of the Jews? Do you remember how Herod reacted to that? Oh, tell me when you find him. I also want to come and worship him. But the wise men were warned and they did not go back that way. And when Herod discovered that they had left, what did he do? He sent to that region all around Bethlehem and he killed every child, every male child, two years and under. A king? (laughs) There won't be any other king. Do you remember when Jesus stood before Pilate in John the 18th chapter and the question that he asked him? So, are you a king? In Rome, that's dangerous. So they say, these men are teaching that there's another king, this Jesus. So you have Paul, you have Silas, you have Timothy, and you have Luke. Following God's call, doing God's work, and life is hard. And now, not only is it hard for them, they just established a church in Thessalonica. These are babes in Christ. And they just got drugged into the middle of all this turmoil. So Jason... This is another one of those passages that we sometimes read and just kind of pass over. We say, Jason put up a security and we kind of think, oh, well, he posted bond and they let him go and no big deal. No, actually, Rome had a two-trial system. And what they would do is something similar to what we do within our court system. The very first thing you do is you have a hearing And you find out what the charges are. And then you set a date for that trial. And if you are convicted, and in this particular case you're teaching that someone other than Caesar is king, if you are convicted of that, you could be beheaded for that. So this is not just some casual posting of the bond type of thing. In other words, Jason, you will be back. (laughs) And these others with you? And so they go immediately and they get Paul and Silas and they send them away by night. They know how risky this is. And so I ask you once again, is God's blessings on them? Third point. When you answer the call. There are three things I want us to give consideration to as we try to to tie this all together. When you answer the call, you have to think about then, how will you show your faith? 
And secondly, when you answer the call, you obey because of what Christ did. And then thirdly, our focus has got to be on the king and his kingdom. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 1, Paul says, when we could endure it, when we could stand it no longer, we thought it good to be left at Athens and send Timothy back to you. Philippi, Thessalonica, Berea, the Jews come there. Paul gets run out of there and he ends up in Athens. And when he gets to Athens, he said, I got to know what's going on back at Thessalonica. So I sent Timothy. So here's the point that I want to make. As you read through the book of 1 Thessalonians, there are themes that are contained in that book. So here's the first theme. How do you show your faith when life is hard? Because Paul's writing to Thessalonica. He knows what they are involved in. And so this is what he says in chapter 1. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 2 and 3. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is fitting because your faith grows exceedingly and the love of every... That's a good passage, too. <laughs> That's Second Thessalonians. It won't work for this lesson. <laughs> Let me start over. First Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 2. I kept reading it. I thought, wait a minute. Somewhere along in there, there's this word that I'm looking for. <laughs> verse 2. We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith, your labor of love, and your patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of our God and Father. What's Paul say? We make mention of you always in our prayers, and we remember without ceasing your work of faith, your labor of love, and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul said that's the way in which you show your faith. That's the way in which you're showing your faith. So Paul's writing and he's opening up to this young church. And that's what he will say in chapter 3. We couldn't bear it any longer and that's why I sent Timothy back to you because I needed to know how you were doing. And when Timothy came back and he gave a report, then Paul fired off this letter. And what he is saying is, I hear about your work of faith and about your labor of love and your patience and hope. And when I heard those things, I rejoiced about them. But he also says in that first chapter, we warned you 
that when we came to You, that life would be hard. But Your faith, He will tell them in verses 8-10, through 10, is being sounded out through all Achaia and Macedonia. You're showing your faith by your work of faith and by your labor of love and by your patience of hope. So what's Paul saying? I was thrilled to find out that this persecution and this difficulty didn't stop you. But rather, it turned out as a means to prove and to be an opportunity to show your faith. And your love. And your hope. So here's the question. So when life is hard, do you see opposition or do you see opportunity? And so when life is hard, do you see obstacles or do you see opportunity? In verse 6, he says, And you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became examples to all who are in Macedonia and Achaia who believe. Paul says, I was thrilled when I found out about your work of faith about your labor of love for the brethren. And that's your patience of hope. And so you didn't just see this as an obstacle, but rather you saw this as an opportunity. So as we think about that, I want to ask you these two questions. Can obstacles in our life Can they prove to be opportunities to show our dedication to God and our love for love for others while we patiently wait for the return of Jesus Christ? Now to go along with that, I want to add this. I want you to take church attendance out of that picture for a moment. Because sometimes that's the way we identify as Christians, is it not? Oh, I believe in God. I go to church. Proof right there. So let's just take that out of the equation for just a moment. How would you say that you show your work of faith and your labor of love outside of church attendance? Would someone look at you and say, Oh, they're a Christian. I know they're a Christian. And you say, Well, how do you know they're a Christian? Well, I can tell by their life. I can tell by the way they love their spouse. I can tell by the way they love their family. I can tell by the way they treat their neighbors. I can tell by the way they go about their job. I can tell by the way they love their brethren. I can tell by the way they talk about Jesus Christ to other people. I can tell by their life. 
that they are a Christian. Paul says you were shown it by your work of faith, your labor of love, and the patience of your hope. Persecution wasn't going to stop them. It wasn't an obstacle. It was an opportunity to show their faith. But now I want to add something else to that. How much of my willingness to show love for God and for others is influenced by how well things are going. Does that ever happen? How much is my love for God and my love for others influenced by how well things are going in my life? Well, things are going pretty good. I love God. Things are going pretty well. I'll love my brethren. Things aren't going so good. Forget all of it. That's the way it is sometimes. It can be. I'm just saying we need to think about it. How much is my love for God and love for others influenced by how well things are going in my life? Or when things are difficult, when things are hard, I look at it and say this is an opportunity. A work of faith, a labor of love, and patience of hope. But another thing, we have to remember that our obedience is a result of what Christ did. Me loving God and me loving others is a result of what Christ did for me. My obedience is not based on what I get. Christ died for me, showed unconditional love for me, me recognizing that I love God and I can love others. Have you ever heard someone say, or have you ever said it? And when we talk about maybe people not doing things and then sometimes people doing things, have you ever heard someone say, why don't you stop, fill in the blank, why don't you stop that, don't you want to go to heaven? Or, why don't you do, fill in the blank, why don't you do this, don't you want to go to heaven? What's that sound like? That's obedience based upon reward. I love my wife because she cleans the house. Really? Is that the reason for your love? I love God because of what Jesus Christ did for me and therefore I love him and I can love others not just because I get to go to heaven is that a part of it? yeah it is but I recognize what he did for me 
our greatest blessing is now being able to love God and to love others. Not just when life's going well. But even when times are hard. So I ask you a question again. Was God's blessing upon them as they traveled on this second missionary journey? And wasn't that an opportunity for them to show their work of faith and their labor of love and their patience and hope? 1 Thessalonians 1 verse 6, You became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy in the Holy Spirit. In much affliction with joy in the Holy Spirit. Why was there joy? Because they recognized through the Holy Spirit what God had done for them. And then in chapter 2, he'll go on to say that you became imitators of the churches in Judea. What happened to the churches in Judea? you recall that? In the early chapters of Acts? How Christians were persecuted there? How, how Stephen was stoned to death there? And Paul says, you became imitators. You in Macedonia, you became imitators of those in Judea. So in Acts 17, when they are accused of teaching that there is another king, threatened even to the point of their very lives, that did not deter them. And when Paul sent Timothy back in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, now we understand the background. Now I know that your faith is holding strong. But I want to read to you from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 13. See if this doesn't make sense in context now. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 13. But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. See what Paul's saying? You know, there's a real chance. Jason, young Christian, other brethren, young Christians, they may go to that trial. They may lose their life. And so now Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians 4, I don't want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep. They still have hope. In chapter 2, he will say that God tests our hearts. And so our focus has to be on the king and on his kingdom. Chapter 1 and verse 10. To wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Chapter 2 and verse 19. For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? Chapter 3 and verse 13. So that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all the saints. Chapter 4 and verse 17. 
Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Chapter 5 and verse 23. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Every chapter in 1 Thessalonians is a reminder that Jesus Christ is coming back. And so in chapter 2, Paul says, you became imitators of the churches in Judea. Your work of faith, your labor of love, your patience and hope. So what's Acts and what's Thessalonians tell us? Essentially what Paul is saying is that no matter what hand we've been dealt in life, there's no barrier to glorifying God. Can you see that? So no matter how hard, difficult, and hard and difficult things can be, what Paul is saying is there's no barrier to glorifying God. Persecution may cause you to be lied about. I may ask you, has that ever happened to you? Someone lie about you? Persecution may cause you to be beaten. You may not have been beaten physically. Have you ever been beaten emotionally? Persecution may cause you to be cast into jail or into prison. You may have never been thrown in jail. But let me ask you, because of your convictions, have you ever been locked away from family and friends or other Christians because of your convictions? Have you ever lost someone to disease, to divorce, to a tragic accident? Have you ever thought, you know, life can be really hard. And do you ever think that sometimes that life can seem so unfair? And do you ever think, where's God in all of this? Didn't I answer the call? Am I not doing what He told me I was supposed to do? Then why is all this happening? And that's when you got to understand there's no barrier to glorifying God. <laughs> Obstacles become opportunities. It's a work of faith, it's a labor of love, patience and hope. That's what Acts and the book of 1 Thessalonians tells us. How did Paul hang in there? How did they hang in there? It's found in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 3. <laughs> it's a work of faith. It's a labor of love. It's patience and hope. And every chapter ends with a reminder of the Lord's return. And so sometimes we look around and we think life is hard. Life is unfair. Life is unjust. And you know what Paul's saying? 
It's in that day that you will find fairness. It's in that day you'll find justice. It's in that day you'll find righteousness. In that day, what Paul is saying, you'll not only see His glory, you're going to share in His glory. So here's the last thought. Every day on this earth, good or bad, is an opportunity to glorify God and to love others. That's what Paul's saying. Every day, we have to think about this. Every day, we write another page in our own book. So each day, pray that we can make it a work of faith and a labor of love and patiently wait for His return. Because every page that we are writing in this life, that's our resume for the next one. Ever think about that? There's no doubt life can be hard. But how we view it determines on how we respond to it. And Paul said, for those of Thessalonica, it was a work of faith, it was a labor of love, and patience and hope. I want to extend the invitation to all that are here this morning. If you've never rendered obedience unto the gospel of Jesus Christ, we would encourage you to do that this very day. If you're a child of God and you need to come back and make your life right with Him, we would be glad to help you with that while we stand and while we sing.